Hey, this is Bob in the Don't Die podcast. Got 100 people a day dying of drug overdoses, and it's got to stop. Aloe Treatment Centers wants it to stop. We want people to get educated about drugs, about treatment. We want you to learn, laugh, and live, but first and foremost, don't die. Yes, we do, but we also want to talk about the Super Bowl, don't we, Chuck? <laughs> Absolutely. Why not? Because <laughs> we were just talking about it. <laughs> Mike, God, wow. Mike our, our, our producer engineer, has a whole conspiracy theory that I disagree with wholly. Just don't think that the Philadelphia Eagles were supposed <laughs> to. <laughs> of course they were. It's the perfect story. They were playing hmm. the Rocky theme. No, it's it's a great story that Philadelphia, the city of Philadelphia, wins, and you know Pennsylvania's been going through some hard times for twenty years, and and it's a it's just a great thing that Philadelphia won. But I mean, the whole thing of like <coughs> Mike's whole conspiracy was crazy. Oh, <laughs> I don't know if you're going to get him to talk. But I know. That'd be no, great. I am not a fan of the Patriots, no. I well, am. can I tell you one stat that blew my mind? So I watched the same game that you watched, Chuck, that Mike watched. Yeah. yeah. I saw Philadelphia get call after call after call, including a fumbled touchdown that was called a touchdown, right? Uh, but I don't, mind, I don't mind all that. I, I, t I have a tendency to believe that sports is kind of rigged. I believe basketball is kind of rigged. It's always Golden State and Cleveland for three years, probably a fourth year now, maybe a fifth year, because that's what gets the highest television rating. How do you rate LeBron, basketball? LeBron, uh, referees can control basketball. We know that from the Donovan uh, experience, if you know much about you just You just have to, at significant times, like that call. That call went to Roger Goodell and the NFL. Is this a touchdown, or is this is this an incomplete pass? Roger Goodell, you make the decision. Are you talking about the one that went out of the end yeah, zone? Yeah, out of the end zone. It was yeah. obviously out of the end zone. I'm neutral. I don't, I don't really root for either team. Saints are my team. But that guy was out of bounds. Right. And See. the NFL made the decision that he, was in, he had control of the ball and was inbounds. And then all the fans who see things the way they want to see things get with that as the reality. But I don't trust that Roger Goodell and his cronies decide whether the guy was out of bounds or not. That's who, when it's going back to Scranton or it's going back to New York to be judged. Oh, they were there. Going. They were there that night. <laughs> they were in the house. Well, they, they tried to say it's being video reviewed by the NFL they were or all, whatever. They were all, did you see? Did you see poor little, um, oh man. I can't remember his name. Which Dang one? It. Butler? The, the, no, the, the, no, what the, about the off the the player of of the Super Bowl two years ago? All pro cornerback doesn't start for New England for no reason. They don't even explain it. Butler, his name is. Yeah, that's right. Mm. And and get and they, and New England couldn't stop the, any any Jeffries or any of the wide receivers. And here they got the MVP quarterback. You know, uh, all star quarterback uh, cornerback. And they don't even play him because I think he smoked weed or something. <laughs> that was some kind of Bill Belichick weirdness, man. Bill Belichick is a weird guy. Yeah, man. he won't even say what it was. But, but I just want to make one statement, and, and that is very clear, that that for some reason we're a hating society. Wow. Right? That's Yeah. And Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback who's ever lived. There's no doubt. You can measure it in any way you want to measure it. No quarterback, listen to this, no quarterback in the history of football, of NFL football, has ever passed for over 500 yards, three touchdowns and no interceptions, and lost a game. Not a regular season game, not a preseason game, not a playoff game, and not a Super Bowl. No quarterback has ever passed for over 500 yards, with three touchdowns and no interceptions and lost, except yesterday Tom Brady did. Hmm. That's an amazing statistic, and he's 40 years old, and he's won more Super Bowls than any other quarterback, tied with Bart Starr, I believe. So anybody who's successful, we hate. The one percenters, the most successful uh, entrepreneurs and businessmen, successful we hate bands. them. We hate, <laughs> we hate Elon Musk. You hate, anybody successful in America, America's massive hatred through the internet wants to drag down and tear down, and it's vicious, and it's like the Aztecs. And, and it really is, <laughs> except, for, except wow. for we don't want 
to cut people's chests open and rip their hearts out and and hold their bleeding. I don't hearts. know. I think if you we want them to lose <laughs> their jobs. All right. What's equal to what's a sanitized version of ripping people's hearts out? Make them suffer, not have jobs, not have be ability to make income. What will happen to them? Then they'll lose their home. They won't be able to live. That's the same thing in a real sanitized way. And it's a slippery slope hating on everybody. It really is. You know, that, <clears throat> that's what started the conversation out there. As I said, man, I was blown away by how many people were happy that Tom Brady, not the Patriots, but that Tom Brady lost yesterday. It's sad. And it's it was just like, it, it was just, oh, it was the best, it, the th- it literally said, the best fucking thing ever. <laughs> And it was just like, are you kidding me? Are you that sad that you, because I, I didn't know who was ahead because I don't watch a lot of regular season. I don't watch football that much, but I, I, See, I, I, watch, I watched the I preview. Think, Mike, Wait a come second. On. I, watched, I, think, I think people were rooting for the underdog. And no, no, it was very, per, it was no, very it, personal. It's very personal against Tom Brady. There's no doubt. Mike, you can, you can continue to wage your argument, but you're. Uh, and you're, it wasn't you, Mike. It, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't you. It was a, a friend of mine. I was a different Mike. He was a friend of mine. And uh, an, another guy, Dirt, you know, those guys were just like, just, it's so. But why? But I'm, I'm not interested in the details. You guys are missing the point. Why is there so much hatred? Well, you know, dude's married to a supermodel. He's a good looking guy. Why He's shouldn't a you admire him and want to model after him? Uh, because that's not what people do anymore. They don't say, I want to achieve that or I want to be yes. like Why that. Why do they not do that? They say, I want to be the best guy. quarterback. He, here's another motivator. I, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you in music, once I got going, I want to be great. And I had my role models of who was great John Doe and Xene, right? Bob Dylan, Neil Young, Peter Case. I wanted to be great like them. What happened to that? It was only 25 years ago. Mm. What has happened to that? Instead, nowadays, you just go, fucking ex, fuck those people, fuck them, fuck the rich, fuck them. I just don't <laughs> get it. Because I don't, I don't have that attitude towards successful and rich people. Right. I, don't, I don't understand it. Why don't you want to be successful yourself? You're brought up from age go in this country to understand that in order for you to get the a somebody has to get the f you are hoping for somebody to fail because early on in grade school there is a thing called the grading system it's a and f a through f the person that fails is the person that lost you to the a i don't know that it's competition why don't you maybe it's an interesting thing you know what what sport i really ended up playing all through high school and college was golf and you're not really golfing against somebody else. You're golfing against the hole. You understand? Right. Right? Well, so yeah. so there it's yeah, in and in competitive golf you are playing on a team and you're playing against the person that's rate, ranked the what you are like third on the team. You're you just have to beat them, right? So golf competitive golf in high school and college is weird, but really if if you play your best, you're going to win. It, it doesn't matter if he if if the other person plays their best. If I play my best, I should win, right? I just don't get I just don't get hating rich people. There's so many people today. The stock market crashed fifteen hundred points or something. So many people, yeah, Warren Buffett lost five billion dollars. It's fucking great. Why? I don't <laughs> get it. I don't get. Maybe it's Facebook or or social media. I just don't get it. I don't get why you're not more concerned with your life then the that that the other people get their up and comings right because when you're focused on your life and your children and your career and and the things that you're doing you don't have time to focus on tom brady or warren buffett or all these people you don't but as long as you focus on them you're you're really missing the boat on your life and i i, I really just believe somehow we've got to correct this ship. We've got to start talking about why do we hate the one percenters? Why do we hate them? Why do we, why do we think that football is rigged? Or why do we, why do, why, like Tom Brady has no reason to cheat. No reason to cheat. He's the greatest quarterback who's ever lived. But Mike and I believe probably 75% of the football public believes he cheats. 
did you see him yesterday? He doesn't need to cheat. He can <laughs> like the pass he threw to Gronkowski in the corner of the end zone. He's forty years old and threw that ball. <laughs> that Gronk guy is a beast. By the way. <laughs> I never heard of. See, I never heard of he any cheats. of these bulls. Gronk, Gronk probably cheats. <laughs> well, you know, there's something in that arm thing he was wearing. Why does he get to wear armor like that? Anyways, the Super Bowl was tremendous. It was exciting. I watched it with my family, my in-laws, and it was, it was, it last year's was amazing. The Atlanta comeback, and this year's was amazing. I did think I did think they were lacking defense. Yeah, it was crazy that New England. I, I mean, that's all I could think. How about this? Another weird statistic. I don't think Philadelphia punted the whole game. How do you play a Super Bowl and never need to punt? <laughs> there was like what one fumble, <laughs> <laughs> one interception that he threw. You know, towards the end zone where the ball popped up and the New England guy caught it right, and then one fumble. And that was it. And then Brady's fumble. I don't think either one of them ever punted. They just scored every time they got <laughs> I know. the ball. I was just like, wow, is there, are there defenses on the field? And, and yet you somehow want to take the, the air out of the Philadelphia Eagles balloon. No, I love that Philadelphia won. I, I, listen, it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't. I'm not emotionally invested in it. Nobody's hating Tom Brady. Nobody's hating Tom Brady. They're just rooting for the underdog. I I don't understand why you don't understand that. Oh, that's that's why I wanted. I was wondering why they were wearing those dog masks. And my wife said, you know, those things are all sold out because they're the underdogs. They've never won the Super Bowl. But ever since uh, my young one, ever since Liam was born, I've been for the underdog. I've totally, my yeah, whole yeah. thing has changed. I think, what do they say? Um, but okay, okay. So you guys are both big supporters of the underdog. Do you sometimes. know? Do you know when, when Fulce was drafted and when Tom Brady was drafted? Are you guys aware that Tom Brady is the biggest underdog who's ever become sixth, a starting yeah. quarterback on a professional team? I don't understand the hating of Tom Brady. I don't hate Tom Brady. I don't <laughs> like... <laughs> you just did before the show. No, I didn't say that. I, I don't like Bill Belichick. Okay, there That's you go. That's all I said. Well, I don't think you're going to have to worry. I think Belichick's going to New York for $100 million for five years. Wow. I think I think I think the New England thing might be over, but we'll see. And that's I think the- Tom Brady is an amazing quarterback, an amazing competitor. The guy loves winning. I was just rooting for the underdog. That's all. I understand. I always root for the underdog. You really want to root for the underdog? Start rooting for the Detroit Pistons, because I am. Blake Griffin got traded to Detroit. They're out of the playoffs. They've they've won two games since he got there. They just beat uh, somebody big today. You know, and why we talk about sports, sports are the way that that people kind of gravitate towards that underdog and, and you know, that, that oh, I'm going to take the underdog, right? Well, right? That, yeah, they're a huge unifying thing in society, too. I mean, it gives you a, an identity larger than you. It's the only thing where people say, we won or we lost, because they feel like they're part of something bigger than them. Yeah, and, the, and I think... You know, and I pick different teams because I'm not tied to L.A. teams or, or you know, that that weird metropolitanism that people have or Lakers. Is that, is Lakers. that a thing? Yeah, they're, they're like, because I'm born in L.A., I have to root for the Lakers. I, I didn't like Kobe Bryant for 20 years, so I couldn't root for him. And now they're so bad, I can't root for them. <laughs> I kind of wish Kobe would come back. <laughs> Maybe I could change my mind about him. It's so sad. I, I to think watch. I think you did good. I think <laughs> I, I trust your your standards there. You know, but that that's weird. I don't know. I understand it with the with the football in um, in England because that's more about neighborhoods, and that's more like they're having more like gang fights on the field. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a whole. They're fighting in the stadium. They're fighting outside. Now those fighting. guys are something. Chelsea and Arsenal, but um, but I'm really really what I came to talk about today is I I just think that we're getting distracted by by division and a country that's kind of founded on compromise and and a little bit of every a little you get a little bit of what you want I get a little bit of what I want I relinquish the stuff I don't really want but you want it. And we compromise and we move forward. That that's a lost art in our politic and in our friendships, really. It's it's hmm. becoming so polarized and whatever. And so the reason why I bring it up, Mike, you know, we've been getting a lot of stu- a lot of comments about the don't die thing. And 
it's it's interesting to me that hundreds of thousands of kids are dying and nobody really cares. A friend of mine's son just died yesterday. Hmm. Nobody really cares. We've become a society so I don't know, so unhealthy that hundreds of thousands of young people are dying and nobody really cares. That's that's a soul sickness that I I don't know what to do about. I care. I care. I don't want kids to die. I know the guys in Wisconsin that started don't die there. I know a lot of clinicians that care. I certainly know the devastated parents. They care. But but in general, if listen to me, if a hundred thousand young people were dying from gun violence, there would be more outcry about what to do about guns, or there would be more dialogue about guns. There is no dialogue about what to do about this. Uh, this opiate epidemic and this this plague of death didn't you think like several years ago when this kind of like you know became obvious where it became a more public knowledge that things would be different at this point that something i would... thought it would be so different so i've been watching the death rate go up but you know i had worked in treatment from 99 to 2005 like hardly anybody died like, you know what I mean? It was shocking when one of my clients or a former client would have died. Then it became rather consistent. Like, about a, out of every 60-day group, you would hear within a year that person had died. And it started to be a lot more in numbers. This is about 2006, 2007. And I was like, fuck, a lot of people are dying. And then, and then Dr. Drew and Shelley and Louisa and the people I worked with, they were like, well, there's more addicts. So that must explain it, right? Because you're trying to battle with what you're seeing that, that is a trend, right? So there's more drug addicts. So, of course, a few, you're going to notice a few more dying. Right. If one out of 50 are dying and there's more drug addicts, there's going to be more deaths. Yes, right. To, to, yeah, right, exactly. But then by the time 2009 rolls around and it hits, I think <laughs> it hits 35,000. I was like, 35,000 people are dying died in 2009 i'm like holy fuck there's going to be a federal grand you know panel and 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 obama's going to do something or you know what i mean it's like you thought something's going to happen and then it went to 40,000 so nothing happened over 35 then it went to 40 and nothing happened then it went to 45 and you started hearing about it in the media a little bit oh my gosh so many drug addicts are dying right and i thought okay here we go here comes the snowball (laughs) here Here it comes Then 50,000 died. And they're like, holy moly, 50,000 died. 5,000 more than last year. And then it became like in the public discourse, right? Talking about it. Right. But, and now it's dinner but table. But now it's 100,000 and nobody's still done anything about it. No. And, and I just, and, and again, this last week, another guy that was like in, you know, it's one of those guys you don't expect to go back out. You know, it seems to be solid. Everything going well. Bam. Well, that's who it's happening to more and more is people that go back. Like the kid that I knew that died yesterday, he had been sober for months and months, right? Mm-hmm. You go back that one time. Now, I still don't know all the details, but I know fentanyl was either in the dope that he did or nowadays these kids are telling me they want to buy fentanyl. Right. Yeah. They want to get fentanyl. They don't want to buy dope that doesn't have it in it. How fucking crazy is that? It is. It's, it's like this... Do they understand that a few granules of fentanyl, you could just die and you won't breathe and you'll be brain dead and you'll be dead? Do they understand that really? Because I know old dope fiends like me would understand that. Like, wait a minute. Okay, sit. tell me again because I'm a little slow. Yeah, no, just a little bit, a teeny bit, a matchbook, you know, a match, match, head of a match, you can die. Holy fuck. How do you tell what that stuff is? Right? You can't. Well, you let your buddy shoot it first. (laughs) (laughs) See, that's what I would do. They wouldn't. (laughs) They'd be the guy going first. Honestly, and that person would have been Mike Mark. (laughs) Oh, man. Hey, Mike. Hey, Mike, I bought some dope. You (laughs) want to come over to my house and try it out? (laughs) Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. God, no, it's so sad that nobody's doing anything. No, I don't think I don't think me or most of my friends would have been here had we been playing with that. So this brings up the topic, what should be done? 
So if the government's not going to do it, and the rehabs are not going to do it, and the local authorities aren't going to do it, and the police aren't going to do it, and the, and the CDC, Center for Disease Control, is not going to do it, and the county of Los Angeles is not going to do it, what should be done? And then let's us do it. Right? One I want to do is inform people, fentanyl, you're going to die. And I think when you have the captive audience of the people who are going to die, which we all have as clinicians working in rehabs, we've got to stop pussyfooting about about this. I do not fucking pussyfoot about. I go, you're probably going to die. I'm, you know, I'm going to be living, watching Super Bowl, and you're going to be dead. I, I think, I think some of this is working though, because when they're relapsing now, they're not going out as often and just shooting dope. They're going out and they're drinking, or they're going out and oh, they're and they're smoking weed, or they're going out because it's just one of those things where they still don't have coping skills and they've got all these overwhelming feelings and they don't know how to deal with it. So they do, but I think part of it is starting to get through. But that's only when they're in the controlled situation and they're going to a quick out. I think eventually they end up one back like that. And you know, the only the only community I've seen where they have, I'd like to see the numbers for Anaheim because I did meet that one guy who told me how the 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 gangsters in the area were taking out people that were selling fentanyl to protect their their people that are junkies. Wow, I like that. And I would like to see if the, if there's any truth, if there's any way we could get numbers out of Anaheim, because he said, "Man, if they catch you selling that shit, you're done. They take you out, they'll disappear you, and then they'll they'll put someone in." Wow, that'll That's sell a, stuff. Uh, maybe the gangs will ch- fix it. <laughs> You know, you don't want to. It's certainly not going to be the government. You don't want to kill customers. I mean, if you want to make money, but I mean, but if you're not selling anything because they want to buy fentanyl, it's different. But this guy was like, "Man, my shit's safe." So, so, but get this: we're the ones on the front lines. I come in contact every month through Aloe with about a hundred drug addicts, a hundred new drug addicts. Right? I see them the first day they get there. I have them in group four times in a month. Right? For two hours. And I can say what I think needs being said. The other night I said, how many people are opiate addicts? About thir- out of 35, there was like 26 of them. I was like, holy fuck. Even I was shocked by that. I was like, holy fuck. <laughs> when did they become a majority? <laughs> when did they become? And some of them just look so healthy and young. <laughs> like, when did they become so healthy and young? I think that we need to encourage, because what power do we have? We probably have, Three, four hundred, five hundred KDAC counselors I know that listen to this show. Really? Right? Yeah, they email me all the time. Wow. I, I, I get my I facts am, straight. I am me. What? What are the facts that no. you've heard? No, no. I just anything I say, I didn't know people. <laughs> it freaks me out to think it's that people listen to this. It's clinicians that are <laughs> listening. Know, now I can't. And now the Wisconsin I can't talk. guys. The Wisconsin <laughs> guys and clinicians. So, uh, so. I think we need to get more hardcore about it. Like I know that I see I I'm know how lucky I am that I founded Aloe and that Evan and Jared who own it back me up on whatever I think is right that's not too crazy. Right? So they give me a lot of leeway. So I understand that I'm in a unique situation, but I do think there's a lot of owner operators that are sober guys and gals that care. And I think they should do it then. Right? Meaning somebody's got to do it. You have a captive audience of 30 junkies in your rehab every month. Remind them of how deadly this disease is, right? Because it's just incredible how many people are dying. Right. No, it's done, it's on a flip flop where it's, you know, a one in 10 chance of overdosing to a nine in 10 chance of overdosing. You know, and those numbers are not accurate, but the idea of it just being completely flip flop to the, I can't believe how many times people have overdosed, youngsters have overdosed compared to people that shot up for 20 years and maybe overdosed once. Okay, watch watch this. I shot dope every day, six years and then four years. For 10 years, every day, I shot heroin. 10 of my 56 years, every day I spent, look at them, look at my arms. It's fucking kind of pathetic. This arm goes numb sometimes <laughs> if I sleep on it because there's no veins in it, right? Nice. So, so I, I know of overdosing only two times, really, right? And, and that's over a long period of time. I overdosed one time very early on in like 86, I remember. And I remember Top Timmy re, 
resuscitated me and was slapping me and put me in the bathtub. Remember that house on Fountain, Mike? Yep. Top Jimmy put me in the fucking bathtub and turned the cold water on me and was slapping me and then (laughs) shot me up with water. Like, what the fuck is that? Like, just the chaos of it's enough to get you to go, what the fuck are you doing? Right? Nice. And and another time I was with a gal and and another gal and the gal went out and the girl said, go get some ice cubes, Bob. And I was like, fumbling around in this girl's house since I didn't know getting ice cubes. Remember the silver trays that you had to crank? <laughs> yes. Doing that and then bringing a bowl of ice cubes and she just shoved it inside the girl in both holes. Nice. Yes. Girl came about. <laughs> she, she started going, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> it's pretty resourceful. <laughs> There's all kinds of, and in the bathtub too with the cold water, right? So, yeah, yep. so these were dramatic events. And then way later in like 93, um, I just got a tremendous high dose of uh, powdered uh, China white heroin. And I snorted an unregulated amount out of the baggie and I went out. There's only two times in my life that I've ever OD'd. In 10 years of everyday use, I have met 20-year-old kids in New Jersey that have been using for 18 months and OD'd eight times. That's insanity. No, I wish you. I wish I thought you were exaggerating, but I've heard that shit way too much, way too often. But but I but so here's how I do it, and I want to help some other people. So I do it by like I had a lot of fun taking drugs, right? A I lot hope of so. fun. I hope so. These kids have had no fun. It's never been fun for them. Maybe a little bit, you know, but very little fun. They've never done anything. I want to inspire them to fucking live life. Go fucking live life. Why are you not living life? My friend Ty just posted a thing, and it said, you know, the original social network, and it was a picture of a record store. And I remember going to record stores and hanging out and talking to all the local people. You know, Mike had that thing over at Vinyl Solution. Vinyl Solution even used to be that way. Like, for me, 10, 15 years ago, that's where we'd go, we'd hang yeah, out. but always go to but, the record but, store. But you, but you don't... People don't go to record stores as much. They buy everything online. <laughs> you don't have to leave because you can post a picture of yourself doing something and you can talk to everybody. I did most of my cultural learning. I can tell you right now, and I bet you there's some people that listen to this podcast that have a similar experience and or went to this college. Golden West College in Huntington Beach. Mike, you went there, right? Yes. Yeah. I. So 1980, Golden West College. I'm 19 years old in yes. that quad area. I learned about the Iran Revolution. I learned about Joy Division. I learned about art and and communication. And I didn't learn it. I I didn't learn it from where you know where you learn things in the classrooms. I learned it out on the quad area. So for one thing, there's a couple of cool guys that were uh, from Iran, right? And me and Chris Hansen. I went with Chris Hansen. We were interested, like, what was it like growing up in Iran? And they were like, you know, they explained to us. They basically gave us an Iranian history, history of the revolution, history of the Shah, out on the quad area over a four-month period of time, just hmm. telling us what went on in their childhood, what went on in the revolution. Interesting thing about the revolution. For weeks it was going on at the embassy, and all of Tehran went about its business, like thinking, oh, those dumb students took over the fucking embassy. It wasn't like a political move. It wasn't like a governmental decision. It was like just something some kooky students did, like you took over the radio station. You know what I mean? <laughs> no way. And life in Tehran went along as, as it always had. That was interesting to me, that at first it was just a bunch of radical students that went in there and, you know, took over, and, and it somehow just grew into this international kind of thing that led to Reagan becoming president of the United States. I mean, think about that. Some kids just went in there with some guns, obviously. You know, I'm not saying they were... <laughs> not saying they were nice kids. Not, not particularly nice children. But, but it was but. mostly young people, right? The spokesperson for the group was a, fem- a young female woman, right? So a uh, young female, right? <laughs> okay. So, so just hearing about it, like, wow, that's rad. Like a whole world can change over a few pa- people taking some action. I... I I knew that was possible, but now they were giving me the information from what had just happened like a year and a half before. That's true. 
A few people can affect the whole world. And mm. you know what I mean? So I learned that. One day, this, this, this great songwriter named Terry Allen, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, Mike has. He made an album called Lubbock on Everything. It's one of the greatest albums ever made. He's a great songwriter. He came as a, as a guest lecturer for art. For, for, uh, he did this play where it's in, a, it's in a boxing arena. It was really weird, and I didn't understand it. But he was there <laughs> you know, for like two weeks presenting and teaching classes and all this. And I got to know him just because I was his, the professor who, had, who was overseeing him or invited him was like my mentor, so I got to hang out with him. And one day he just said to me, you ever heard of Joy Division? And uh, he says, like a Texan dude. And I was like, no, what is that? And he said, you, you ought to check out Joy Division. You'd like that. Right? I remember like a dude from Texas, weird 40-year-old, 50-year-old <laughs> songwriter guy from Texas turned me on to Joy Division on the quad at Golden West College. <laughs> That's cool. So where are the quads? That's what I'm talking about. That's my point. Where are the where are the places where twenty year old kids or nineteen year old kids and eighteen year old kids go to learn? I believe it's the smoking area of the rehab. I believe we have a responsibility to tell them about that people can change the world, that things are possible. I think this sticking to whatever the uh, we've been sticking to for the last five years obviously doesn't engage them. It doesn't interest them in any way. Why don't we try talking about the clash? Why don't we try talking about the Godfather Part Two? Why don't we try talking about the things that had such profound effect on us? Right? Churchill. I talk about Churchill all the time. Now he's in the news because of this movie, but he's an amazing motherfucker. He he had more quotes that are um, that that blow my mind than any other person I've ever read the quotes of. You know, they have the quotes of. Mm -hmm. He said. He said. Um, what is it? Uh, uh, success is um, never losing your um, what is it? Losing your uh, your motivation through failure after failure, right? So you, you never lose drive, your determination, your 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 passion for living, your passion for changing, your passion for making the world a better place, even after failure after failure. They don't, yeah. they don't teach shit like that in America anymore. Or in, you know, we don't get taught that. We're, we're taught this weird <clears throat> primal, tribal stuff of like, you know what I mean? We need to elevate the dialogue and the conversation. <laughs> it, was, it was funny. I was listening to some talk radio on the way uh, over here tonight. One of the guys said, I was watching the news, watching Channel 5 News, and they said, we'll get to the highlights of the Super Bowl, but first, this just in, and it was one of the Kardashians or Jenners had had a baby or something. <laughs> <laughs> and just, really? Who's who's watching the news? That, that, it's crazy. <laughs> I don't know. I man. mean, you know, I, I believe that young people don't, would think that the Kardashians are more famous than Winston Churchill, so thus more. Well, they're more important, more important for important. sure. They're more absolutely important. more important. Yeah, we gotta we gotta do something about that. And so we have these captive kids. Within the sound of my voice, if there's 300 of us and we all have 30, that's that's a lot of influence we have just on a few thousand kids, right? Start influencing. You know what I mean? I'm tired of all the excuses. I'm trying to do my part. I talk about what matters to me. I talk about the evolution of what has mattered to me when I was a kid, when I was middle-aged, when I, now what matters to me and how I connected the dots and how the motivation changed, how you assemble a life that's worth living, how, what, how you look at your own character and change things about your character and it has a profound influence in what you have around you, right? And these kids need that. They need real human interaction, examples, mentoring. They don't need to be proselytized to or religion shoved down their throats or values they, that make no sense to them told either, either embrace this or, or fuck you. No, they need it 
you know, I look, well, look what's on the walls of this room. All these things are tremendously important to me. Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan influenced everything we experience. Without Bob Dylan, there's, uh, you can't even measure his influence in international culture because of who, A, one thing for who he influenced, the Beatles, right? The, the way that songwriting was looked at as an, as an art form rather than a bubblegum pop form, right? Um, mm. You know, the jam and the who, Pete Townsend and Paul Weller. Um, Johnny Rotten's over there on the wall. Um, the, the movie picture right there is the first movie, I forget the name of it, that ever had two women kissing in a lesbian scene. That's in 1961. Think of how forward thinking that is. Think of the balls it took to fucking make that movie. Or the whatever you want to call it. <laughs> or the lack, the lack of. The, the labia. <laughs> the labia that it took to, to, to make that. Mm-hmm. Think of the courage that those actresses had. Right? I'm sure every agent told them, don't fucking do Are you kidding me? You're going to be in a movie where you kiss a girl? That's the end of your career. That's death. Well, you have this other one in here, the Le Droit du uh, Plus Font. Which, what the, is that? The, the Fassbender one? Yeah, Fassbender. Yeah, that's a, another gay one. I don't right. know, got a lot of gay art around. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> is that what you, that's what Mike was trying to say. Well, <laughs> you, you, one of my favorite pictures of you is you wearing the queer boy shirt, though. So it's, yeah, not, like, yeah, that's, it's not like it's shocking. No, I've always been, you know, part of the gay community, but I don't understand the gay <laughs> community good. anymore. But, but they're, they're right now, see on the top of the piano, that's a picture of Chris Burden. He, he crucified himself to a Volkswagen in Venice, California in 1971, I believe, or 73. He he had everybody show up at a garage. Yeah, he wheeled, he, yeah, and he, he I got himself, a picture of it right he here. Wheeled himself out, and he called it transfixed, and he wheeled himself back in. When it was but he himself. was crucified to the Volkswagen. He right? was crucified to the Volkswagen. <laughs> he also did a. He That's also in nineteen sixty nine did shot himself. His friend shot. He had his friend shoot. Mike him. is an expert about Chris Burden. Think of that. Hmm. Well, he's but but let's get to the apex. So this is an artist who's just pushing the envelope. His first thing that he ever did was at, and he went to Irvine, actually. Sounds like he was off his meds. No, no, no. He was pushing the envelope of what was art and what was celebrity, right? He was introducing ideas of like, so he's, he became a more famous artist than any painter of his generation. He shot himself. He crucified himself to a Volkswagen. He locked himself in a school locker for like four days <laughs> and you could talk to him in the locker hmm. and he, he also laid for two days with metal bracelets on <laughs> mike does know chris burden he laid with metal bracelets on and an electrical cord and plugged a, yes plugged, plugged into a, a wall socket and into a bucket of water laying next to him and, and called it, i pe- dare you yeah kick the water over and he'll kill him how <laughs> crazy is this this dude is well, one of my all-time. Well, it's a good thing he didn't do that right now. He's one of my all-time heroes. So, you know, he put, so in, he put fa- in the, all the streetlights. Yes, at, at no, Black that's the point Black. I'm trying to make. Hold on, oh, hold I'm on. Sorry. He was the crazy radical artist of the 70s. He gave Los Angeles its most iconic thing that exists in this city, which is the lights all perfectly in a row in front of uh, LACMA. Right. And it's just amazing the LACMA. shit. It's just amazing shit. You go there 24 hours a day, there's weird people taking their pictures in that. Well, it's it's still cool. I, I we were up there not too long ago with the in a I don't know why. It's just one of those things I feel compelled to take a picture of. I remember I was at a punk rock concert, like a weird gay punk rock concert called Theoretical. There were these things in Hollywood on one, one, one Sunday a month. And he was there. And I just kept staring at him like that's Chris Burden. That's the guy. That's the guy who's done all this radical shit. Early days in like the 69 or 8 or something like that, he did a thing called Through the Night Softly. Totally intimate. It was a parking lot in downtown, and he broke a bunch of glass. And and he crawled across it. He put on some like little skivvy underwears, like Iggy wears, and he crawled across it, and he got up and called it 
Through the night softly. and Because uh, <laughs> you're walking real softly. You're crawling real softly over glass. But And, and people hmm. would say, oh, why is that interesting? Well, it's more interesting than like the Kardashians. Like what have they really ever created? Nothing. Makeup? Well, like, you, you know. So, so we live in a celebrity culture that's just celebrity for the sake of celebrity. Not the sake of like making people think. Do the right. Kardashians make people think? No, they but don't. someone calling, crawling through uh, glass, although at first you kind of go, ah, but the, it causes you to think. It causes a reaction. It causes a, a thought. Would I do that? Why would anybody do that? What is the point of doing that? I think that? the people who witnessed it were forced <clears throat> I, I to come to grips with their shit. own finition of their own skin. Right. And glass, you know what I mean? Yeah, they were pioneering performance art. Which but I think they were making people think. And I, that's what I want to do with these young people. I want to make them think. Think about what they're doing. Think about, you, you know, death and, and, and how close it is to you at 20 years old, at 22 years old. Like, this is not the thing that we should be discussing. We should be discussing, you know, Bernie Sanders or, or what you want to do with your life or, or what your dream is or, or, or like why you're so guarded or, or, you know, what, what is it that can help you thrive? We're not talking about important things with these young people, and they're so valuable. We, they're sitting right in front of us, and all we do is say, oh, how are you feeling today? Let's check a box. Okay, so uh, you want to be sober? Do this. Okay, check a box. Okay, we're going to go to activity. We're going to be everybody signing the sign-in sheet. Okay, okay. We got to talk to your mom today. Okay, so let's sit down and talk to your mom. Do you hear what he's saying? Do, do you... Do you understand what your mom is feeling? The, the check a box, get some insurance money, check a box, and we're doing nothing. Uh, we're achieving nothing. We are accomplishing nothing. You had a bad day at the rehab today. <laughs> no, I I had a I didn't go to the rehab today. I went I went to Verizon for four hours. And oh, six, dang. four hours and six <laughs> That's minutes. That's what did it. That was fun. No, I had a good day. <laughs> I, I see my everybody misinterprets. So does Doctor Drew. I, I, my life is golden. I just, I just, I just read a bunch of shit and I take in a bunch of what people are saying, and then I have a platform to talk about it. But I don't give a fuck. I just, I'm gonna go next door and have something to eat and watch Perry Mason and like watch, you know, my, watch my kids go to sleep. I, I, I just have this amazing ability to live my life. And then jump into this social commentary and this dialogue just fluidly. It does not translate. My feelings are, do not translate. They just, I'm so sick of this society I, doing nothing and complaining all the time and, and children dying and nobody doing anything and rehabs making billions of dollars. The one you work at and the one I work at and thousands of other ones making billions of dollars. P employees of rehab centers making hundreds of millions of dollars. And the what you're achieving is next to nothing. It has to change. If it doesn't change, I believe it will be gotten rid of. And that needs to, what you were talking about, inspiring young people, getting them surfing, getting them jo jobs that it's not going to be a job for a lifetime. It's a job for this winter. Who knows where it's going to lead to? But jobs are important. Being purposeful is important. It's yes. not a matter of how much money you make. You're not the Kardashians. You know what I mean? And you don't have to be. You know, and that, that's the thing. They find that once they get out there. I can't tell them all that, but, uh, you know, when they make that paycheck and they have money that's their money, they learn all that on their own. I don't have to teach any of that. Your kid, your kid knew that. He knew what was up. Yeah. Right? So now all you got is a kid with a, that's battling um, surrender. That's all. He's he's going to he's going to school right now. But you know learn. what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. I, I dealt with him two years ago. Yeah, no. He, he knew what was up. We more kids we're dealing with need to know what's up, and they don't. And so the system they're in, the rehabs they're in, have a responsibility to wise them up, to to acknowledge, to acknowledge not just your feelings, not just your anxiety, not just your addiction. You, what the fuck is up with you? 
Why do you feel so entitled? Why do you think people care that you're anxious? You know what I mean? (laughs) That's the most fascinating thing to me. I get described a hundred people a month tell me, you know, I suffer from anxiety. I, I was like, I don't, I'm not, I'm not the I'm not a doctor, so I'm not the guy to talk about. Well, what do you do? Are you I'm not, I've never I'm not anxious, so I don't know. I I think anxious is something you allow yourself to be, and you get a lot of reinforcement to be anxious and tell everybody you're anxious. I truly believe that. I don't I don't think it's a real separate thing. Oops, I just I don't believe it's a real separate thing. Right? Not not when the kid is calmly telling me they're anxious. No, I. I it's a word that gets a lot of attention. Most most of the most of the people like we we've talked about that where it's most of them ask them to describe what it is they're actually feeling and it's not anxiety at all. But you know what I'm yes, saying, I, right? Yeah, it's it's a great reaction. It's a buzzword. It's a buzzword that I I've had 13 year olds tell me they're anxious. Oh, I'm so sure where they did are. you learn that word? No, I'm sure they are. That that you know eighth grade's not easy. <laughs> <laughs> Pimples aren't easy. They've never been easy. <laughs> and I'm not trivializing pimples. I no, had such pimples so badly I thought about killing myself. It's a big but, deal. But but to then label it as a separate disease is ridiculous. It's an interrelated problem. Mm-hmm. It's adolescence. It's not understanding the world. It's being rewarded for withdrawing, Right? So if I don't try and I withdraw, what happens? A bunch of people pay attention to me. What used to happen when we were kids, when we were 13? If you didn't try and you withdrew, what would happen to you? Nobody would pay attention to you. No, you kind of stayed there. Yeah, you would be there. Then you find the other people that withdrew. So that's why nobody did it. (laughs) It wasn't rewarded, right? (laughs) It was not rewarded. Right. Come on. Don't we know that that's, even babies know better than to not change their behavior if it doesn't get rewarded. Right, uh, and I think that's just extending on and on and on, and we're rewarding the wrong things. We're not rewarding trying and failing, right? We're not, re- we're not, we're not, we're not just, we're not inspiring, right? We're, we're, we're trying to normalize everything. That's another weird thing. Like, my dad never told me to be normal. My dad was a pretty normal guy, but normal was never talked about. It wasn't something to aspire to. Like, you're too weird, you need to be normalized. Or mainstreamed, right? Mainstreamed. Mm. Or, or be just average. Those were not things that were talked about in the 1960s and 70s from parents to children. It's talked about constantly now. Oh, I just want him to fit in. I just want... What the fuck does that mean? Fit in? Fit in. Where? To what? To so what? He, right. So, so if you want your child to fit in, this is what fitting in has gotten you over the last twenty years. It's gotten you to become a narcissistically kind of self-centered, thinking that you're so important, right? So, because you get so much attention for just just being average, right? <laughs> so you get you get celebrated for being average. So then the reality is coming at eighteen, nineteen, twenty. You can't, you don't get celebrated for being normal or average in the real world, right? Not very much, no. And so, so it's just a setup for the kids to fail, to, for the, real, the reality of our vicious society to just fucking punch them in the face when they can't find a job or they can't, you know, can't, uh, you know, stay in junior college. And then you've got the, the medical profession, the pharmaceutical industry, doping anybody up who wants to knock on their door, right? And you've got parents who can't seem to contain their own feelings caused by their children's suffering, right? I'm not saying when your kid cries, we're doing this thing where we're, we're, uh, we're weaning Sydney right now. Last night was fucking rad. <laughs> That's oh, all I can say. There was heave like she was crying like <laughs> all night. I held her for an hour and fifteen minutes saying it's gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay. We love you and humming to her. And for some reason, you know what song comes to my mind all the time? Because you're like you're like in parent 
mode and you're trying to come up with a lullaby or something, it's always, boy, the way Glenn Miller played. <laughs> I no. I sing all in the family. I sing all in the family. <laughs> I don't know why. So made the hoop parade. <laughs> because, because you can sing it and then you can put it into a hum. <laughs> I have never heard anybody do that's that. fantastic. That's what I do. To Maybe that's why it's so hard to wean her. <laughs> like you have the Barney Miller theme to her. But 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 you know what I'm saying, right? So so we're weaning. It's hard. She's crying. She's heaving, sobbing, crying. Yeah. We know all we have to do is I bring her into the bedroom and say, Chrissy, just give her a little milk from your you know, your breast area, whatever you call it. Bosom. Uh, right? Yeah. But we were de- we had decided we're going to do this. Right. It's going to be brutal for a week. Parents, I don't, I don't think we're helping support each other that, yes, she's crying. It affects me. But it doesn't change my mind. We've decided right. she can't breastfeed forever. Chrissy's going to work full time. It's not going to work. So the point is, parents need to learn how to have their own feelings that their kid's suffering is causing, but not change their mind and do the wrong thing and let them switch rehabs and, you know, pay their cell phone bill or get them an apartment or, or let them move back in with them. We need to support each other as parents of, of adult drug addicts that, that you love them. You, you're overwhelmed with sadness and feelings and, and anxiety mm. or whatever the feelings are, mm-hmm. but you can't give in. They're, I know I'm in for it tonight. We're doing it again tonight. Oh, it's not over. <laughs> no. Oh, no, no it's and, not over. And that'll go for a week, but with a drug addict, it can go on for years. I, really, I believe if you get tough for about three months, it'll it'll start to, they'll they'll get the message that you're changing. They absolutely do. And once they get to the rehabs, like I'm, I'm dealing with, I've been doing a lot of like creative, arts type I'm stuff i'm even more rad than that <clears throat> but they they go uh i've been seeing a lot of i understand why you had to treat me this way or i understand why you had to desert me you know <laughs> I, don't, I don't even care if they say that ever i i, you know I, what I, mean? I do like i do like it when they when they finally come around to go you know i i was toxic to mom and dad i they had to do that i just i just no i uh. think that we need to support each other as parents that's my new thing like it's hard Trust me, tonight's going to be hard. Last night, Chrissy said, I just can't take anymore. And she, she disappeared. I don't know where she went for like 40 minutes. I think she went in my office. But I was just like, okay. Buck up. Okay, buck up. It's going to be okay. And then, you, you know, another thing about this weaning thing, and, you know, and, and it, is, it is very much, and I'm not talking about this just to hear myself talk. It's very much like breaking free of codependency with your adult child. Mm. It's like, no, this is what we're going to do. I know you don't like it. I know it's horrible and miserable and you're going to cry and we're going to be up all night for a week, but this is the right thing to do. Parents need to do that when their kids are 20 also, right? Absolutely. And it's not easy. All right. Good night. Good night. Hey, this is Bob, and you can get a hold of Aloe Treatment Centers at 888-595-0235. That's Aloe Treatment Centers in Malibu and Silver Lake, 888-595-0235. Tell them Bob told you to call.